The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences. If you are not an adult, please do not let your parents know you're listening to this, and don't repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please drink responsibly. Now that we have all that covered, let's start the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 311 of the podcast. Unless you're joining live on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. If you want to catch the show live, subscribe on one or all of those platforms. Turn on your notifications so you can catch the show when it goes live. Like right now. Today is Monday, April 24th. Um, Podcast a day later than usual again this week. Uh, Just been enjoying some family time on the weekend. Um, no real excuse other than that. So here we are, uh, still, you know, trying to stay consistent here. Um, I'll switch it up this week and give you guys a reminder at the top of the show for once that we do have merchandise available to our friends at team Reaper. Reaper one.co is the website promo code MMA rocks 10, save yourself 10% off your entire order whether you're buying our merchandise or not. So you can grab yourself an over-the-top, under-the-influence t-shirt, tank top, or hoodie. Although I don't anticipate a lot of hoodie sales uh, as of late. I don't know about where you guys are, but it's well into the the mid-80s here in Florida. We're starting to get into the rainy season uh, as well, which means summer's right around the corner. Okay, so there's that. can check that box. It's going to be a quick little episode tonight. Um, not a whole lot to talk about. We had a, a pretty good fight night um, on Saturday. And we have a decent card coming up next Saturday. Although, you know, not the biggest name value cards, but still worth talking about. Um, but it'll still be a pretty brief show because... Um, there's not a whole lot going on news wise, but let's get into it. So UFC Vegas 71 at the apex headlined by these heavyweight monsters, Sergei Pavlovich, Curtis blades. Look, I kind of told you guys last week or to my recollection, I told you, uh, that it was going to go one of two ways. You know, Pavlovich was going to come out of the gate and, and lay leather on Curtis Blades, or Curtis Blades was gonna, you know, bring Sergey into deep waters and and try and drown him there because we saw we took a look at Pavlovich's record last week. Um, he had gone five rounds before, was not in the UFC, uh, but it was only one time. Pretty much, this guy rarely gets out of the first round, and that was the case on Saturday night. Knocks out Curtis Blades. He threw kind of like the start of the uh, of the finishing combination. He threw kind of like fainted an uppercut, turned it into like a shovel hook where he kind of leaned into it with his chin straight up in the air. Um, and, but when you throw with that kind of power and ferocity, you can kind of get away with uh, sort of rudimentary mistakes like that. You know, when, when you know, that that you're gonna be blasting the guy in the face with some thunder fists, um, you, 
you kind of throw caution to the wind a little bit more. So he landed that and, and Curtis was trying to, to try and duck and roll out of the pocket. And he just uh, couldn't see the light of day. Couldn't find his way out of there. Pavlovich was just all over him. Um, just kind of swinging wild, put Curtis down. And then, um, you know, that was all she wrote. He, he kind of got on top, landed some hammer fists, but it, it was a done deal at that point. Referee Mark Goddard stepped in. Uh, put an end to it. Six straight knockouts for Sergey Pavlovich in the UFC, which if he gets one more, he's going to tie Chuck Liddell's record for most consecutive knockouts, um, which is a, is a damn impressive feat. I mean, you're you're looking at a at a division where the greatest champion of all time defended the belt three times. So you're talking about a guy who can't even go you know the best to to ever hold a title in the ufc couldn't hold it for more than three fights yet this guy has six straight knockouts in this heavyweight division where like almost every guy has one punch knockout power i mean his last fight knocked out uh Derek lewis uh this this guy just has insane power he's terrifying um he just annihilated the guy who was probably the biggest threat to him outside of John Jones uh, in terms of the wrestling. Uh, you know, maybe Stipe. Um, I, I doubt we're going to get to see a Pavlovich-Stipe fight unless Stipe gets past John Jones. Um, and, and Pavlovich said he wants to hold out for the title shot. He wants the winner, John Jones and Stipe. And, and I don't see how anybody could deny him that because he's pretty much just demolished everybody he's faced so far. There's just like, there's nobody left. Um, the only people ahead of him are, is uh, Cyril Gan and Stipe. And of course the champ. Um, I don't think the UFC would put him in there with Cyril Gan. Uh, other than that, you, you know, he's he's fought all these dudes already. Um, so, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if they put him into a title fight. From what I understand, he was the backup fighter for John Jones and Cyril Gunn, um, which isn't a hundred percent, but is usually an indicator that you're going to be in line for a title shot. And I think with a performance like this um it, you know if he was right on the cusp of deserving a title shot i would have to think a knockout over a guy like curtis blades would put him over the top um so that's probably what we're gonna see he said he's willing to wait and just rest up uh man this is a scary dude uh it, his technique is not the cleanest but he just throws with such ferocity uh, that that it's just scary. You know, he, he doesn't have to have the cleanest technique because all he has to do is touch you and you're going down. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a scary amount of power to have, especially because going forward, he's probably only going to be fighting five round fights for a while. So, I mean, good luck dodging those giant fists for 25 minutes. 
Um, <laughs> forget about trying to get some offense off. Um, let's see. Bruno Silva, big first round knockout over Brad Tavares. Um, you know, this was a, a solid test for Bruno Silva, who came into the UFC with a lot of hype. Uh, and then, you know, just hit a rough patch, but, you know, went the distance with Alex Padilla, who was just the champion, uh, and then got submitted by Gerald Mearshart, which, you know, Gerald Mearshart is like one of the top submission artists in, in UFC history. So, um, you know, a little speed bump there, but before that, he had a string of three knockouts when he first came into the UFC and over, over good competition, Wellington Terman, Andrew Sanchez and uh, Jordan Wright. Um, so it, you know, he had the setback against Alex Perea, but he was only 20. Um, no, let's see here. I don't know where I was going with that thought, but uh, I was going to say he was only 20 fights into his career, but Alex Perea was only like seven. Um, so in any case, got himself back on track, big knockout uh, over a tough dude in Brad Tavares. So this guy's dangerous, man. Um, I don't know. I don't know what we do with him next. Let's take a look. Take a look at the rankings here at middleweight. Is he ranked yet? Doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like it. Maybe um, a fight with Chris Curtis would be fun. That would be a fun fight. Andre Muniz would be a fun one as well. Pretty much everybody else is matched up. Brendan Allen has a fight booked. Um... Bruno Silva and Roman Delidze would be a really fun fight, but I feel like that wouldn't be fair to Delidze because he's ranked so much higher. Um, but maybe some point down the line, we'll get to see that one. Bruno Silva gets another win or two under his belt. Uh, Bobby Green and Jared Gordon, unfortunate ending to this one. Um, Bobby Green kind of leans in for like an elbow and accidentally headbutts Jared Gordon puts him out on the ground and then, um, you know, followed up with some strikes and knocked him out. Um, everyone involved in the cage, including Jared Gordon, thought it was just going to be a TKO victory for Bobby Green. But there was a, uh, a review by the Athletic Commission, uh, and they shared the information with Keith Peterson, and all parties involved agreed that it should be a no contest. Uh, since it was the headbutt that led to the finish, the fight ending sequence. Um, it, interesting. I can't remember another time where this has happened. Um, you, you know, obviously it was accidental when, when Bobby was told what happened, he said he thought he hit him with his elbow. Um, which is totally possible. You know, you're in the heat of the moment. You're, you're not necessarily going to feel, uh, if you hit a guy with your head, you got so much adrenaline going. Um, it, it's definitely reasonable to think that he wasn't aware that he headbutt him, and it, and it wasn't even a headbutt. It was re really um, like it was like it was in the books as an accidental clash of heads. So 
unfortunate set of circumstances here. I don't think they'll run this one back. Um, you know, it wasn't looking great for Jared Gordon up to that point. To like, if it had been like a really competitive fight, like really back and forth, and these guys were slugging it out, and it ended like that, then then maybe Dana would want to run it back right away. But I I don't think that's going to be the case. Bobby Green was upset because, you know, he was looking for that win bonus. Um, it, it's unfortunate because now now both guys have to leave with, you know, half the money. I don't know if there was some kind of back-end deal, um, you know, where they were cut extra checks uh, because of the no contest. It was still an exciting fight, so I don't think either guy should be penalized for that. Um. Yasmin Lucindo, unanimous decision over Brogan Walker. Uh, I'll tell you the truth. I did not catch that fight. Um, Jeremiah Wells, split decision win over Matthew Semmelsberger. Uh, this was a really close fight. That first round, I feel like, was the toughest to score because Semmelsberger damn near knocked Jeremiah Wells out. You know, if that's all you saw of the round, you might even say that was a 10-8 round for Matthew Semmelsberger. But then Jeremiah Wells comes back and controls the whole rest of the round on the ground. Um, so it was probably like, it, you know, I, I think Semmelsberger knocked Jeremiah down twice. So you're looking at two knockdowns versus like maybe four minutes of control time. So it's a question of what do you value more there and, and how you score that first round. I actually don't know. I, I probably would have scored that round dead even. Um, but I don't know how the judges had it. Uh, in the end, two judges gave it to Jeremiah Wells um, and one gave it to Semmelsberger, but it was, it was an exciting fight. Uh, it was a, a, a really interesting matchup. Okay, Christos Giagos with a big knockout of Ricky Glenn in the first round. A lot of uh, first round fin- it was like first round finishes or decisions this whole card. Um a- except for the first fight. Uh let's see. Montel Jackson knocks out Ronnie Yaya in the first round. Um it, that was kind of sad to see for me cuz Ronnie Yaya has been around for so long. He's such a he's such a tough competitor. But, you know, 38 years old, and he's been doing this for so long. Let's see. How many fights does Ronnie Yaya have? Um, just didn't – just wasn't moving well on the feet. Not moving at, at like, a UFC speed. Okay, so he's got – he's got, like, 40 fights. He's been doing this for a while. 38 years old. I mean, he was coming off of two wins, but just um, the speed was a huge issue for Ronnie Yaya in this fight. And, um, you know, Montel Jackson did a good job of taking advantage of that um, and, and getting that knockout. I mean, his nickname is Quick for a reason. So four straight wins for Montel Jackson. Um, I don't know what Ronnie Yaya does from here. I don't know if he was trying to to make a run of it. I mean, it's not a good sign if you're 38 years old and fighting on the prelims. I, 
Um, it doesn't exactly scream like title shot anytime soon, especially in a division that's so log jammed right now uh, in this bantamweight division. Uh, Norma Dumont, unanimous decision over Carol Rosa. Uh, did not catch this one either, guys, so I got nothing for you on it. Uh, if, if any of these ones that I missed uh, were worth watching, please do let me know. I did see the rest of the card. So Muhammad Usman had a really rough first round against Junior Tafa. Junior Tafa, his his takedown defense looked like damn near perfect in the first round, and he was just tagging Usman on the feet. Um, he, you know, Usman is such a big dude, and he carries so much muscle um, that it, it, it seemed to just be a mobility issue against Tafa. Like, he just didn't have... He just didn't have the fluidity on the feet that he needed to strike with a guy like Junior Tafa, who hits really hard uh, and moves really well for a heavyweight, especially for someone who's built the way he is. Uh, Muhammad made adjustments in between the first and second round. He was able to, uh, you know, secure the takedown uh, somewhere like towards the middle of the second round and then hold junior Tafa down junior just was lost on his back. It, it seemed like he had no idea uh, like how to even scoot to scoot his back to the cage. Um, it, there, there wasn't much effort to try and get up. And when you've got a giant of a man, like Muhammad Usman on top of you. I mean, that's enough to suck the life out of anybody. It says he's 6'2", 240, but he just looks like monstrous in there. He's like, like, that's just a big dude. Like he, he really is like, like an inflated version of Kamaru Usman. Um, you know, they have like the same frame. He's just like, a hundred pounds heavier. Um, so I, I damn sure wouldn't want to be stuck under that guy. Mark Phillips says 3027 Tafa. <laughs> Usman did zero damage. I may be slightly biased. Uh, yeah, he didn't do a whole lot of damage, but uh, he definitely controlled the fight in the second and the third round. So, um, you know, that's what got him the decision there. But as far as the first round, went it was super one-sided uh william gomez split decision over francis marshall this was a good fight um it, it was pretty back and forth both guys had their moments um and it was close uh william gomez coming away with the decision and you know i'm not mad at it it was a good fight you know he, ha he has those quick kicks uh, that he was landing quite a bit. Francis Marshall has good pressure, though. Um, so he was moving forward for a lot of this fight. Um, I thought it was entertaining. The fight of the night for me was the first fight. Brady, Brady Highstand against Bacharel Dana. Um, this fight, man, Highstand really showed some heart and grit here. If you guys didn't watch this card or you, you didn't watch the prelims, I would say definitely go back and watch this fight um, if you have the time this week. Uh, Dana was 
was landing a lot. Um, his striking looked really good for the first two rounds. He was definitely up on the scorecards. It was a situation, one of these rare situations where high stand needed a finish in that third round and he went out and, and got it. Um, you know, he found a way to get Bacharel Denat to the ground, which he was struggling with the entire fight. Um, and, and just basically drained Dana's gas tank to the point where he couldn't fight back and the referee had to step in. Um, you know, he was making him carry his weight and hitting him with some ground and pound. And, um, Dana was just so tired by that third round. He couldn't fight back. Um, but it was not looking good for Brady, uh, in those first two rounds, I mean, he had visibly taken some damage, uh, face was bloodied up. Um, and he, you know, he, he proved that he's just got a dog in him and he was able to come back and get that much needed finish in the third round. I mean, otherwise he's walking away with a loss here for sure. If it had gone to the judges scorecards, even if he won that third round. Um, so very, very impressive performance by this kid. It was the comeback of the night. Um, I thought it was the fight of the night. It, it was just super entertaining. This kid's only 23 years old. Um, he's only got nine fights. So, and three of them are in the UFC. So like a third of his fight experience uh, is, is in the UFC, uh, which is crazy. Uh, but if you look at his record, you know, he's, he's a big finisher. So, you, you know, we know this kid is tough from bell to bell here. He challenged, he called out, uh, the dude that just fought Raul Rosas. And he said, Oh, you like to beat up younger guys, you know, like, oh, I'm next or whatever he said. It was good. It was a good call out. Um, so yeah, short card, um, it was on early, which is always nice for me. Of course, when the when the cards are on early, I don't have the chance to watch them uh, when they're early. So I watched it after the fact, and then a little bit um, went back and rewatched some stuff on Sunday morning. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens now. Um, like, what do you do with Curtis Blades? Also, uh, I feel like maybe you run it back with Tom Aspinall feel like that could be a fair thing to do because that one ended if you guys remember with uh aspinall getting uh getting his knee injured so you know they're ranked four and five as of right now i don't know if that's going to change come tomorrow um yeah other than that i don't know i don't know what you do with curtis blades i mean if if you really want to get rid of him uh Give them to Jalton Almeida. <laughs> that would be a tough fight, man. Because that dude is a monster. And you, Blades has great wrestling, but you're not going to want to take that guy down because he's nasty on the ground. So, yeah, I don't know what's next for Curtis Blades. It'll be interesting to see if the UFC uh, does give Pavlovich that title shot. Time will tell. My friends, time will tell. All right. It really is going to be a quick episode. I I always say that, like, oh, 
not much to talk about this time. And then I end up on here for an hour anyway, but it looks like we'll keep it right around 30 minutes for you guys. A little, uh, this will be like a little commuter length, uh, episode here for a lot of you. Is that the average commute now? I think like 30 minutes, pretty average commute. I think that's about what mine is. 30, 35 minutes, somewhere in there. I usually, you know, only listen, if I want to listen to an entire podcast, it's like the drive to work and then a little bit at work and then the drive home. <laughs> we'll usually, uh, will usually do it for me. Today I was listening to, um, I was listening to Joe Rogan and I, I don't listen to all the Joe Rogan uh, podcasts. I kind of cherry pick based on the guest. I was listening to a little bit of the Jim Brewer episode, and then I was listening to Ric Flair. What a friggin' legend that dude is. Um, you know, of course, I was into pro wrestling as much as anybody else when I was like 11, 12, uh, somewhere in there. And then uh, I kind of I left that behind me once I once I started wrestling like eighth grade of like, you know, amateur wrestling, not pro wrestling. And that's actually what got me into it. I thought I was going to be like, like the ultimate warrior, you know, going in there like gorilla pressing people. Um, that's not the case guys. I don't know if you're aware, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, high school wrestling is not like what you see on TV on Monday Night Raw. But um, I did I did find the interview with Ric Flair interesting because at one point he said he started taking Xanax um, because he was having self-confidence issues. And, it, and, and he was having anxiety. So it, here is like one of the most flamboyant, like, just like a pure projection of confidence Ric Flair was like throughout his wrestling career. I mean, this guy, his whole persona was confident. Like I'm the best. I'm the man to be the man. You got to beat the man. Um, I'm going to have 300 women waiting at my hotel room. When I get at, when I get done with here, then I'm going to crush 35 beers and sleep with all of them. Um, and that guy said he had self-esteem issues and anxiety. So, you know, what hope is there for the rest of us? If, <laughs> you know, if Ric Flair, the, the kiss stealing and wheeling and dealing and whatever else he, he was doing, I don't know what he was dealing. <laughs> I hope it wasn't Xanax. Um, but yeah, if that guy had self-esteem issues in his prime, to the point where he had to medicate himself. Um, you know, it's totally understandable for the average person to have self-esteem issues and, and feel anxious ab ab about things. Um, you know, it's totally natural. Maybe that's why they call him the nature boy. Cause he's, he's so natural. He feels the same things that all the rest of us do, but yeah, I did find that, that, that bit of psychology interesting because if you had to choose somebody, you, you know, 
choose a celebrity or, or somebody that you would think never had an issue with, with confidence or self-esteem, um, you'd probably pick that guy. <laughs> you know, the guy just, he was just brimming with confidence. But, um, you know, I guess you never know what, uh, what people are going through in their heads. You know, sometimes the most confident people on the outside are, are the ones who are struggling the most. So, uh, it, it was a, it was an interesting, interesting interview. I still haven't gotten all the way through. It's hard for me to get through a three hour, uh, podcast that like, if I listen to an entire Joe Rogan episode, it usually takes me like a week to get through it. And then sometimes I'll forget what they were taught. Like I'll be listening to it and then, and then, um, I'll go back to it a day or two later and then I'll have to rewind it because I forget what's going on. Um, it, which is why I always keep this show to like an hour. Um, I, you'll rarely see an MMA on the rocks episode that goes over an hour. That's because I'm playing to my attention span and I'm assuming that anybody who listens to this is, is in the same boat as me, but I know there are a lot of you that will listen to like, three Joe Rogan episodes in a day and, and be fine and, and be able to digest all that information and good for you guys. Um, that's, that's awesome. I, my brain does not work like that. I have to digest small amounts of information at a time. Um, and even then it takes me, takes me a while to process things. Um, yeah. So that's that. Um, let's get into uh, UFC Vegas 72 back at the apex again next week. So here's another bantamweight main event, which we just had like two weeks ago in Sandhagen and, and Marlon Cheeto Vera. So Yadong Song and Ricky Simone getting in there for the main event. This is a really interesting fight because Ricky Simone is on a hell of a hot streak here. Five wins in a row. Uh, finishes in his last two fights over Rafael Asuncao and Jack Shore. Um, yeah, his only setbacks were he got knocked out by Uriah Faber, which was a a big setback because Uriah Faber was like damn near 40 at the time. And then right after that, he lost to Rob font, but now he seems to have bounced back. Um, you know, Ricky Simone's a little tank man, but then you have Yadong song who is, I guess kind of like the dark horse of the division. He has a loss in his last fight to Corey Sanhagen, but he has a win over Marlon Marais. He has a win over Marlon Vera. Um, I don't know if it's maybe the five round fights where he struggles. So if you look at his career, even back in the WLF, he lost a five round decision there when he went five rounds with Corey Sandhagen, he got uh TKO'd right at the end of the fourth. But I remember he was doing well against Sandhagen early on. Like he had him rocked, um, 
And uh, yeah, he can definitely hold his own with anybody in the division. The problem with this fight is going to be, you know, the winner's going to have to make a huge splash because there's such a bottleneck at the top of the division, right? Because we got Aljamain Sterling's going to fight Cejudo for the title coming up, um, at which point Aljamain may move up to featherweight, win or lose. That's kind of my prediction. Then you have Marab and Corey Sanhagen are going to fight. Um, supposedly, Sean O'Malley's been promised a title shot. Um, you just got, uh, you know, so much congestion at the top of this division right now. Let's take a look real quick. Yeah, and you got Peter Yan still floating around up there. Um, Dominic Cruz, let's not forget. Pedro Munoz coming off a big win. Okay. You got Umar Namagamedov creeping around, about to make his way into that top 10, most likely. Um, let's see. Jonathan Martinez has looked good lately. And then you got Rob Font. Yeah. Rob Font coming off of that big knockout win over Giannis. So it's like you got so much going on at the top of this division. And then where was that? Just looking. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, if these guys want to, uh, you know, it's weird, right? Because normally you fight in a main event and then you're looking at a title shot, but that's just not going to be the case. There's just too many other people uh, ahead of you in line. So they're just kind of fighting for that like fourth place spot right now, right? They're going to be behind O'Malley. They're going to be behind the winner of Sanhagen and Marab. Um, they're going to be behind potentially Rob Font. Um and then, you know, let's not forget Marlon Vera is still, you know, still a threat in this division as well. So fun fight, though. I'm looking forward to it. Co-main event, Cal uh, Baralo against Michael Olajanchik. Um, This will be a fun fight, I think. Baralo, um, you know, he's got... Uh, He's got a, a scary-looking neck tattoo and has not lost a fight since 2015. And Ola Zanchik is just is just tough as nails, man. He's one of these he's one of these Polish hammers. Uh coming off of two straight wins, two straight knockout wins. Only three losses in the UFC, which you know, it, this is a tough division, this 185-pound division. So um, I think this is going to be a competitive fight. Um, Olajancic, a little bit more well-rounded, uh, so probably more ways to win this one. Uh, but, you know, Barallo hits damn hard. Then um, we got Rodolfo Vieira against Cody Brundage. That'll be a fun fight. Um, obviously Vieta, world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu, 
but he's had issues with his cardio in the past, you know, and, and the cutting weight for MMA, uh, coming off a loss to Chris Curtis, uh, before that submitted Dustin Stoltzfus. And then he was submitted by Anthony Hernandez just because, uh, he ran out of gas. I mean, this is a guy who just carries so much muscle and I guess he's just got to get the weight cut under control. Um, Cody Brundage, solid fighter coming off a knockout loss against, uh, Michael Olajanchik. Um, so here they are on the same card. Um, you know, kind of up and down throughout his UFC career here. But it'll be an interesting fight. Obviously, if it goes to the ground, um, Vieira is going to have a huge advantage there. Um, but the longer the fight goes, the more it's going to favor Cody Brundage. Uh, possibly getting a late TKO stoppage. Uh, Julian Rosa, always exciting to watch. Uh, was on the same season of The Ultimate Fighter as my buddy Billy Quarantello back in the day, season 22 of The Ultimate Fighter, back when Conor McGregor and Uriah Faber were the coaches. Uh, he's getting in there against Fernando Padilla. And let's take a look at this guy real quick. Okay, comes from Mexico, 26 years old, UFC debut. All right. Doesn't look like he was on the Contender Series or anything. Came from Fury FC. Um, he, you know, Julian Arosa is a is a tough is a tough draw for your UFC debut. Um, so we're gonna see what this kid's made of. Um, let's see what else is jumping out to me. Marcos Rogerio de Lima and Waldo Cortez Acosta. The battle of big dudes with a lot of names. That's what we got here. So th this will be a fun one. Waldo Cortez Acosta, salsa boy. All right. Um, let's see. Three wins in the UFC, including on the contender series. Hasn't found that first finish in the UFC yet. And Rogerio de Lima is, is a beast of a man. Coming off of a submission win over Andre Arlovsky in his last fight. Uh, that was way back in October. So that'll be a fun one. It's interesting because I, I usually don't know... Um, too far ahead of time what's going to be on these upcoming fight night cards until I'm reading it in front of you guys. So pretty much just reacting is just giving you live reactions every week. <laughs> like, Oh, this is on next week. Uh, Natan Levy and P Rodriguez. Okay. Um, you know, both not a lot of experience, but both, uh, both exciting styles. So that'll be fun. And then Brian Kelleher and Journey Newsom, that's going to be a really fun fight. Um, you know, I keep talking about it's hard to stand out in this bantamweight division. So um, being on the prelims of, of a fight night card that's headlined by bantamweights that, that really need to be impressive to make a splash, um, you know, kind of puts these two 
in a, in a pretty bad position. Um, you know, they're, they're really going to have to stand out to try and grab a headline here. Um, but these are two scrappers, man, that, that could be a really exciting fight. So there's that. And then Haley Cowan against the undefeated Jamie Lynn Horth. Okay. We've got a few undefeated fighters on this card. Yeah. Fun little fight night card. I'm not sure if this one starts early or not. Um, but yeah, it should be good. All right, folks. I told you I would keep it short this week. And uh, I'm going to keep my word. Um, as far as for the, uh, for the on the rocks portion, I've been getting into a lot of tequila lately uh, since the weather's warming up. Um, I always like a nice tequila, uh, when it starts to get hot outside, uh, an aged tequila that may surprise you that I've really been enjoying is Kirkland, uh, which is Costco's brand of aged tequila. So the, um, the Kirkland brand Añejo tequila is really delicious. Uh, so, um, because it's tequila that's aged in oak barrels it kind of gives that whiskey flavor profile to it It drinks like a lighter whiskey um it is something that i actually will drink on the rocks um most of you know that i like to drink my whiskey neat um but tequila you know when it starts to get hot outside uh, i will throw a couple ice cubes in there and we'll have them on the rocks you know i've always said that the show's called MMA on the Rocks. I rarely drink anything on the Rocks, but MMA Neat would have been a stupid name for a show. So there you have it. Um, if you have a Costco near you that sells liquor, um, the Kirkland brand of anything is usually sourced really well. Um, and, it, and it's usually made by a well-known distillery. So like the Kirkland Isla Scotch is made by Lagavulin, I believe. Um, the Kirkland bottled and bond bourbon is made by Bardstown, which makes 1792 bourbon. Um, so, you know, they source everything out really well. They had, they also do a Kirkland 18 year old scotch. Um, that's a sherry cask, uh, scotch that's made by McAllen, I believe. And it's always a mystery whether you'd be able to find these things or not. So even if there is a Costco nearby um, that does sell liquor, I know they don't in every state, like in New York, uh, the Costco's don't have liquor stores, but they do here in Florida. Um, so if you are able to find that stuff and the prices are phenomenal. So for the, the, uh, for the Añejo tequila for an entire liter of it, it's like 40 bucks. Uh, so you really can't beat that um, really good bang for your buck over there at Costco spoken like a true dad. Um, and that's about it. That's all I got for this week. So until next time, cheers, everybody. Bye. <laughs>